Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you. I know that uh, the, the temperature has probably scared a few people away, and I, I really do want people to be safe. So uh, hopefully you're able to watch us there on the magic of the Internet and still join in. But it's nice to have you guys here. God had a people back in the Old Testament. And they were a people, and they came through a, a particular line, through Abraham, and they were the, the, the children of Israel, and they were living in Egypt. And that was, I don't know if you remember the story of, of Joseph and, you know, the famines, and so all of his family moved to Egypt. And they thrived there, but they were also not well-liked there by the people. And so they, were, they began to enslave them and, and make them into their servants and slaves. And I think there's always been a jealousy a little bit of the, of the Jewish nation, and they seemed to thrive, and that was God's blessing on them. And, but then God said, I'm going to make a nation, I'm going to bring you out, and he rose them up, right? And he, he brought Moses in, and then he had the, all of the the plagues and, and miraculously parted the sea, and Moses brought them out. And then where did they go? They wandered around in the desert for 40 years, and they weren't exactly um, obedient all the time, and, and, and they doubted God. And God said, I am going to lead you through the wilderness. And while you're there, I'm going to supernaturally provide for you. I believe that's a metaphor for the rest of our lives. How many of you understand that basically we're wandering through the wilderness? And we need a guide. How did God guide them? He guided them in the day with a ball of fire and at night, or a ball of fire at night and a, and a cloud during the day, so that they know where the pathway was, even though the pathway was not straight. If you look at that particular incident in Scripture and you watch the path, if you get a map and they show you the way, you think, man, God, you could have saved like 39 years and something if you just went straight. How many of you feel like your life is not straight? Okay. Um, do something we don't normally do. If you're bold enough, would you mind, um, if you're not, that's okay, do. Raising your hand if you're really going through some trials right now. Okay. I want to pray for you right now. Lord, um, sometimes the wilderness is really hard, and it hurts. And it's confusing and it's frustrating. And we really need you. We need you as a guide in our life. And you've given us some things. You've given us your word and your Holy Spirit. And we need to follow those in the wilderness because we are easily distracted. We're easily lost. Not lost from being your child, but lost as far as the direction that we should go. Or how do we deal with these things that happen, these trials and these hurts and the pain and the wounds that happen? We need your guidance as we go through this. Lord, those that raised their hand and those that maybe didn't have the courage to raise their hand, Lord, just anoint them with your Holy Spirit right now. 
with an extra special blessing as they are navigating through a trial, that they would both have faith, but also learn, as you are using trials and always do, to perfect us. And so, Lord, we just pray for an outcome, but we also pray that the outcome would be that, that you, would, you would cause growth in them through whatever trial that they're experiencing, but also give them peace and comfort in the midst of it. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, for thou art with me. So, Lord, we just want to lift these people up. I know there's a lot going on in people's lives in today's day and age, and a lot of it's not good. So, Lord, we, we need to rely on you all the time. So I just want to pray, especially for those that raise their hand, um, that you would give them that kind of peace and comfort and guidance. And I ask this all in your son's name. Amen. All right. Um, so here we are, and we're wandering through the wilderness in sort of a metaphorical way, and it's true. That is the phase when God says, okay, I'm, I'm going to save you, I'm going to bring you into my family like he did the, his family back then. But guess what? It isn't going to be easy between now, when, when you are saved, and when I come to perfect you, or I come and take you home with me um, in death. Uh, it's going to be hard, and you're going to need me, and you're going to need a lot of guidance by golly, he gave it to us. We're going to talk about that today as we recognize living the biblical worldview. So, as we normally do, kids, come on up. Oh, boy, oh, boy. How are you guys? A cold, I bet? Man, it's, you know, you've got to wear your coats today. Thanks for coming, you guys. And I'm looking forward to that next Kids Jam. Don't roll your eyes. Come on. <laughs> he Paxton. Paxton is my go-to dude, and he is an amazing young man. But, you know, I think he probably feels like he's getting a little old for this, but I really enjoy you coming up. So, what is this? Paper. Paper. Yeah, it's paper. Um, I'm going to need you guys to unfold that for me a little bit at a time. Oh, you can take turns. Oh, boy. Is there a bunch? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, my goodness. What's going on in there? Oh. What happened? Okay, go ahead and sit down because the people out there can't see. Okay. I did, because I have a remote. <laughs> you think I, I was going to try to be magic and stick it in my pocket and think, but no. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I need your help. See, because he is my go-to guy. See, I wrap this up, and you're going to tell me what that is. What is that? It is. It is copies out of my Bible that I've had for. So here's it. Let me read you Psalm 119 in verse 130. The unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. Is the light on? No. 
No. Does the words unfolded laying here give you any light? No. What do you have to do? You have to unfold it, but then you have to read it. Can you read a little bit of it? Out loud? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I mean, it's my fault. Just read any of it. That's okay. That's good enough. Okay. This is small, small print. <laughs> the light's only going to shine when you unfold the word and then actually spend some time in it. How many of you? I, I one time I'll tell you a story. I can't remember. I don't remember all the details, but I remember this. I was taking something. I think it was out to the, the, a garage when I was a kid, and it was a, a detached garage. And my, I think my mom had told me you know, I could put this thing away. And I took a flashlight, and I got out there, and the flashlight went off. And I was scared because, I mean, it was pitch black, pitch black. And I said, I don't think I can get home. I mean, literally, it's so dark, no stars. It must have been clouds. It's here in this, so it was probably clouds. It was in this area. Um, and so there was no light. And, man, I was panicked. I was a little kid, and I was panicking. I, I have no light. I have no path to get back to my house. I can't remember if I prayed, but I know I banged on the flashlight, and it did come on. Because it's, re it's really hard. Yeah, sometimes they're broken. They won't come on, but there was something in the switch that was, that was bad, so I banged on it and, it, and the light came back on, and I was able to get back home. But I remember how fearful I was when I thought, ah, number one, I was a little kid. I don't like to be out in the dark. Two, I don't know how I'm going to get back into my house. And, you know, how long am I going to have to wait out here for my mom and dad come get me? I don't know. So it's, God promises this. He says that. Now, you know, there's, we're going to do this. Um, you can read the Word of God, right? And you get some light. But if you want to get, oops, did it, is it still on? If you want to get more light, is it, is it getting more light? No, well, it's supposed to. There it is. Now it's coming on brighter. Here's what the Bible says. In Psalms 119.105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. Did I need, when I went out to the garage and the, and the light went out, did I need a light for my path and a lamp for my feet? I did. I did. Otherwise, I was going to not find my way back home. So I need and we need light to see the path. So I'm over here. God, God. And God says, I have a plan for your life. But you need a pathway to go on. So I read the Bible and I find the path. But the Bible illuminates how I am supposed to follow that so I get back to where I want to go. Now, when I was a kid, it was back into my house in my warm bedroom. But what is it here? What do you think? How do we get from being here to living forever with God? 
in heaven, right? So we need a pathway, and we need God to show us how do we live in the meantime? How do we get there and navigate all the little bumps and, and things, bad stuff that happens and things that come up that we don't recognize and we didn't see coming? How do we get through that? And God says, I got a plan for you. Psalms 1, 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but instead delights in my law, and on my law he meditates on it, Day and night. If you want the light to be brightest, you can't just open the book. You have to actually read the book and, according to God, meditate on it. Now, what do you have, is that a word that you guys think about much? Meditate? You know what it means? No, I don't what it means? Know I know, it's kind of a weird word, and kids don't use it a lot. But what it really means is, you guys know this from some of your school stuff. I'm going to read this, and I'm not just reading it so that I can say I can check a box and say I read the, I read the book. I read the, I read the homework assignment. Thanks, teacher. But then I'm going to, hmm, I wonder what that really said. I wonder how that would apply to me. And I wonder if there's something in there I can use in real life. And that's when we want the brightest light that it can be. That's what God wants. He says, meditate on my word day and night. And then here's the outcome if we do that. Psalm 119, verses 102 to 104. Psalm 19 has a lot of verses. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself, God, have taught me how sweet your words are to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. God says if we read his word and stay on the path, that we're going to like it. We're, it's going to be good for us. It's going to taste like honey in our mouth. Now, we don't actually eat the paper. Right, no. But God's saying the message that I have in there will keep you on the path that you need to be on to get from here to a relationship with God. And you're going to love it. Okay. Really, really important to read the Bible, right? Because that is the path God wants us on. In every situation that comes up in your life, the Bible has something to say about the right way to do it and then the wrong way. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. You're very attentive, and it was a very long today, so thanks so much. <clears throat> okay. Okay. The same message applies to you only in spades. See, this series is about living the biblical worldview. I start out over here saved. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, who saved me, who did I left the 99 and came after me, opened my eyes, opened my heart. Thank you very much. Could you now tell me how to navigate this life that I'm in that is very painful at times so that I can get over here to this unbelievably intimate relationship with God, which is going to fulfill all the needs that I have. Could you do that, God? And God says, yes. I will give you a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Will you take advantage of it? 
Do you live the biblical worldview that's taking you from being saved so you're no longer an object of God's wrath to, hey, I want to have this incredible, intimate love relationship with the creator of all things, which is going to satisfy every need that I have. And God, can you navigate me through this? Because there's a lot of distractions. When the pain starts, I am very distracted to dealing with it. A lot of times not in the biblical way. Just this week, I was looking at some different things on the internet. And one of them was a conversation between a couple of theologians that were talking about a church who was kicked out of the Baptist convention for ordaining women pastors. Another one was a long discussion I had some time back, about creation. And biblical scholar who was a physicist said the world is 14.2 billion years old. And so we had this, it was a group of Christian men that I was with, and we had this massive discussion that lasted four hours because it was two sessions, two hours each, and we were getting together, and at the end of it, um, there was all this discussion and different ideas about how were, what was the world created. And I was normally fairly um, vocal in these things. You guys can't imagine that, can you? No. And I was silent the whole time. So finally, at the end of the four hours, they said, Tim, what do you think about this whole issue? Because there are lots of hypotheses being out there, like this, this happened, and then this happened, and this guy was really smart, the physicist who was presenting this on a video, and he was talking about, and he was a Christian, how he believed that God did it this way and, and created the universe, and there was a gap in the, in, the, in, the, in the time from when he actually first created matter to the time that the world was created to the form we know it, and, and it was, didn't really mean a day and all that, and, and different viewpoints from all the different guys. And at the end, my comment, which I don't think made me many friends, uh, which is kind of funny. I said, look, guys, you've been talking for, uh, about this for four hours. I only have one question. What does the Bible say? And if this guy, I don't care who he is, I don't care how many degrees he's got, if he is telling you something that does not line up with Scripture, then throw it out now because I only have one interest here. What's the truth? And where am I going to find it? I'm going to find it in Scripture. Okay, whatever the issue, whether it's creation, whether it's should women be pastors, well, you know what? You know, listen to the discussion on the Internet about these two guys going back and forth. There's only one question. What does the Bible say about it? I don't care what you think. I don't care what you like. I don't care what culture says. I don't care what you think it should say. What does it say? Now, I'm not, I'm not going to go into that. that. It's not the point to say what is the truth. I'm saying there's a truth, and practically every issue you encounter in your life is discussed in Scripture somewhere if you look for it. Am I going to live the biblical worldview, staying on the lit path that God has given me so that I can navigate through this life, living the truth by adhering to the truth of Scripture? you got to ask yourself, am I living the biblical worldview? Do I know the worldview? Am I applying it to my life? Am I making my decisions in my life based on the, the view that the Bible gives me of how things truly are?
Only you can answer that. Because there's, there's, a, a, there's a knowledge of Scripture, and then there is, I am going to use Scripture as the basis of my viewing things and making decisions. What is the proper view of God? What is the proper view of myself? What is the proper view of others? What is the proper view of the world? What is the proper view of my circumstances? What is the proper view of my future? All from Scripture. The purpose of this series is to get you thinking about what is God thinking about, not me. I mean, there are people going through some tough times. And if you can't get through those tough times with the biblical view, it's going to be very, very hard. Because God says, I'm going through a trial right now. Ah, well, consider it pure joy because I'm using the trial to perfect you. That is a perspective that's very helpful when going through trials. Sometimes you've got to wait for the pain to die down a little bit. But as we go through life as Christians, one of the great benefits God gives us is, I am going to allow you to see reality as I see it described in my word. First, you've got to know it. Then you've got to meditate on it. So, go to the next part of this. There was a two-page handout. If you didn't get one, you need to get one. Okay, it says on there. Now, <clears throat> got it? Maybe, this is a maybe, it's not mandatory. Maybe, try, and first of all, I've got to say this. I apologize for the copy quality. Some of them are hard to read because the copier was malfunctioning on me this morning when I was doing it, and, and there are some really light areas in there. So hopefully you can, but I'm thinking, I say, so I, I go back there, the stapler didn't work. <sighs> thinking, okay, God, what's, what are you trying to teach me here? And then the copier was malfunctioning. I say, okay, God, I don't get this. And maybe he's saying, well, then I'm going to cause them to have to look a little f- closer to actually get the truth out of this. So... Maybe that's the purpose. Nonetheless, it's, some of it is hard to read. So, maybe a different way of reading God's Word. Based on those scriptures I just read you from Psalms, reading it's not just good enough. So, here I'm giving you an example. Psalm 1, 1 through 6. That's what's at the top, Psalm 1, 1 through 6. And then, if you want to try, try this. Just try it for a week. See what you think. You know, I know you say, well, I'm really trying to motor my way through the Bible in a year, and, you know, boy, this amount of Scripture is not going to be enough. Okay, you can do that on your own. I mean, do that if you want. And and I've done it a number of times, read through the Bible in a year, and I've been through the Bible quite a few times. This is what I'm doing right now, and I'm telling you, if you really want to get God's Word down in your heart, then you've got to spend more time than just reading it. You've got to meditate on it. You gotta look at so so this is a this is a short outline of how do I find myself sucking the meat out of the scripture, the word, so I can actually apply it to my life and live the biblical worldview. So this is again just a, not mandatory, but just take a look and see. So I'm I I have the scripture, then I said, okay, here's some information for five categories here, right? Information and some examples of some information I pulled out of there. Then instruction, and information being here's some information, instruction being here's how to use that information. And then encouragement. Was there something in there that was encouraging to me? And then correcting. Is there something in there that I need to be corrected about? 
And then application is how do I take this and what step, action steps do I need to do to actually apply it to my life and have it start changing me? Try it. See what you think. Now, there's no right or wrong answers. I mean, you're going to say, you know, and sometimes you're going to say, well, there really wasn't anything correcting in there. Okay, then don't put anything. Um, you see that there's some things that overlap in mine because I wanted to give you some examples in each category. But, you know, frankly, some of the informational and instructional are about the same. And it doesn't matter what you write down. What is God saying to you from this passage? But then if you take it, never in my life, well, except for going through really major trials, never in my life did I have the kind of spiritual growth that I experienced than when I meditated on God's Word. I mean, reading it was one thing. And then praying through it. And then meditating on it. So if you take this and you say, I'm going to pull the meat out of it. I'm not just going to read it. I'm going to actually pull the meat out of it in these four or five areas. And then I am going to meditate on it. So my suggestion would be, read it. My suggestion is to do the passage at least three or four days. Same passage. Read it. Fill out the thing. Meditate on it. Go back the second day and say, okay, God, you, you gave me some instruction. You gave me some information. You, you gave me some encouragement. You gave me some correction. And I put down some application steps. I'm going to read it again. And I'm going to meditate on it again. And I'm going to say, okay, am I really living that part? Am I really letting it influence the way I think and behave? If you want... The light to shine brightly, you have to do more than just read God's Word. I don't know. We have the Holy Spirit. I don't know what else to give you from here, from this position up on the pulpit, other than to say, read and meditate on God's Word if you really want to change and grow in maturity because God has these things, which we talked about, right, John? He's got, he's got His Holy Spirit and His Word, and He's got us together to... Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, and then he's got trials. Woohoo! I think more if you get from the Holy Spirit and the Word, maybe the less he has to use trials to, to perfect you. Maybe not, but this is an unbelievably valuable resource if it's used properly. First, you've got to spend time in it. Every day. <laughs> If you think you don't need to spend time in it every day, then you probably are just asking for more trials every day. God is going to fix you. God is on a mission to transform you. And when you don't do it in his word, he's going to do it another way. I'm not trying to scare you. Try it. I mean, maybe you got your own system. That'd be great. But I can just tell you, just reading it. First of all, you get, at least just read it, okay? If you aren't reading it and then actually using it to affect your life, then you're not getting out of it the kind of things God wants. Oops. All right. I don't see my clicker. Oh, over oh, here. Here we go. All right. Now we actually get to the sermon. But it doesn't matter because I'm going to just quit whenever it's, it's time. Okay, so you got this second page. One side lists attributes of God. So the top 
seven are attributes of God. This is who God is. It isn't definitive. It isn't exhaustive. But these are seven things that God is. Right below that are seven things that God does. Seven things that God does. That's his behaviors. Now, the love thing can overlap. You can say God actually is love, not just does love. God actually is love. So, but nonetheless, I gave you scriptures last time. Hopefully you went through and you said, okay, Tim is proposing that these things are attributes of God. And then he's saying, and here are things that God does. Not only does God do them, he does them perfect. And I gave you scriptural references because that's how living the biblical worldview works. You don't just have ideas. You, go, you have ideas, and then you test them against the truth of Scripture. And so hopefully you did that. You tested the, the truth of Scripture and found out, yes, indeed, God is sovereign. Yes, indeed, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing all the time. He's immutable. He never changes. He's holy. I mean terribly holy. I mean so terrible, terribly holy, fearfully holy, if you were to stand in front of him in your sinful state. He is just, absolutely just. His judgments are always perfect. He's omnipresent, he's everywhere at once, and he's eternal. He's always been and always will be. Then he has these qualities that he demonstrates, love, grace, mercy, creative ability, patience, long-suffering, judgment, and wrath. Okay. I gave you a week. I gave you some scriptures. I told you that you could go on the internet and Google each one of these things and find additional scriptures with no problems. There's plenty. So if you have a problem with any one of those things, I think you just need to do more study. So let's, I'm just going to propose we're going to take it for granted that those are right. Now you look at the other side. It says, have you ever felt that I really don't know God? That I'm disappointed with God, that God is disappointed with me. That I'm angry with God, that God is unfair, that God has abandoned me, God cannot be trusted, God simply doesn't care, God really doesn't love me, and God doesn't see me or hear me. Thank you. And then down below, have you wondered, why does sin exist? Why is life so harsh and painful? Why does life seem so unfair? And why doesn't God just fix it all right now? So this is the exercise that we're going to do. Because you're going to say, based on the things on the left side of that, how do I reconcile these questions on the right side? Do you think... You don't have to raise your hand. <clears throat> when you're a pastor, maybe, maybe when you're a pastor. Not necessarily if you just want to go out and do it. But when you're a pastor, people ask you a lot of theological questions because they think you know everything. And I don't. So, but I hear a lot of these questions now. Okay, Mr. Christian, if God is so loving and so wonderful and in control of everything, why is there sin and why is my life such a mess? The Bible has an answer for that. Okay, so... Those are the types of questions. So again, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you have ever felt any of these things, I can guarantee you I have felt some of those things. I was angry with God. I thought God was unfair. I'm not sure I could trust him at times. Um, I pretty much figured he was disappointed with me. He sees, we, we learned this this morning in Sunday school, uh, he knows everything about you. Even before he made you, he knew everything. I mean everything. Yeah, even that other thing you're trying to hide. And so, 
having a human viewpoint of, of life, well, you know, most of the time that's what, how we're born and we're broken and all that. And so we think, yeah, you know what? If I was God, I'd be really disappointed with me. So these are questions that we struggle with. These are questions that non-Christians struggle with too. Why is your God so mean? Why does he have your, his people come in and just destroy an entire group of people, man, woman, and child, and animals? That's the kind of God you want me to serve? Are you kidding me? But there's answers from Scripture to those questions. Let me see where we're at here. Okay. Additional questions you might have. So these are, these are other questions that are on there. Why doesn't God just save everyone? Why doesn't God completely transform us as soon as we're saved? How come the God of the Old Testament seems so much more harsh and mean than the God of the New Testament? Why doesn't God just completely reveal himself to everyone? And why does it seem at times that God is not there? If you are ever in a position where you are mentoring um, baby Christians, these questions are going to come up. If you are out there evangelizing to people and saying, hey, take a look at Christianity, these questions are going to come up. And then you think, gosh, I'd like to have the answer, but frankly, I have the same question. The Bible has an answer for all of those things. So, On the, on the sheet, on the right-hand side, at the bottom, if God is sovereign, if he knows everything, left side of the list, right, left side of the paper, if God is sovereign, if he knows everything, if he's completely perfect, holy, and just, and if he is perfectly demonstrating love, mercy, and grace, then why did he allow brokenness? And why is this brokenness so hard and painful in our everyday lives? You ever think that? You ever think those things? You're going to be asked those things. So, I'll go to the next one. So, in essence, what you're saying, or what that is saying, is this. Why does sin exist? Why does sin create such a harsh and painful environment for us to live in? Why is life so hard and unfair? And why doesn't God fix it all now? Okay, if we're going to live the biblical worldview, we're going to have to learn how do I answer questions like these real-life questions that come up and seem to contradict this list of attributes that you're giving me, Tim, about God. I can't understand this and reconcile these questions with that list describing who God is and what He does. If you're going to really trust God, you're going to need to know how to do that. Let's go. Let's have a look. The previous four questions, why does sin exist? Why is life so hard, harsh and painful? Why does it seem so unfair? Why doesn't God just fix it all now? Pretty much lead to the other questions on the list and other questions. So we're going to start with these and we're going to answer some of them based on Scripture. Why does sin exist? Why does this sin create such a harsh and painful environment for us to live in? Why does life seem so hard and unfair? And why does God, why doesn't God just fix it? How many of you would say, or have ever said or thought, man, if I was God, I'd just fix it all and save everybody right now? I've thought that. I'd say, I've, I've thought, God, why don't you just fix me? I mean, forget the rest of you, just fix me. 
I, 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 I was saved. I know I'm going to go to heaven. I know I'm going to be with you forever. Why? I'm still doing all this knuckleheaded stuff. I mean, come on, just come in here and, and clean house and fix me, will you? I believe that, that God's, um, God's grace is, is irresistible. I believe that no matter how much I might have struggled, that God's plan for salvation was to call those, change their hearts, change their minds, change their, their vision, come in, present the Gospels in some way or form, and lead me to salvation. I know there are different views in Christianity about that. But then I'm wondering, well, okay, whatever. I got here. I'm saved. Whichever, whether it was my choice, your choice, however the Holy Spirit was involved, and I know that. But why is it so hard for me to be fixed after that? Okay. <clears throat> Probably, and maybe undoubtedly, the most difficult question theologically that people could ask is the first one. If God, if this God that you're trying to introduce me to, Tim, is completely in control of everything that is and is unbelievably holy and just and perfect and he knows everything and he is everywhere and he is eternal and he is supposedly this loving God, that combination doesn't work for me when I can look at the earth and the world and people and see this thing is so messed up, it's unbelievable. If God is who you say he is, how is this possible? How many of you have ever thought that? How many of you have ever been asked that? It's probably the biggest theological question out there. If there really is a God, why is there sin? Ah, there's an answer for that. And it comes from Scripture. <laughs> Okay, so here's some things we got to know. The answer to that question, the answer to the question of why there is sin, cannot violate any of God's attributes. Okay, so if I'm going to start answering that question and I have to say, oh, well, well, I think this, well, ooh, that would have violated God's sovereignty. I think things just got away from him for a little bit while he had his back turned somewhere else. Well, then, then he wouldn't be sovereign, so I guess... That's not true. Or, or he couldn't be omniscient. He wouldn't know everything before it happened. So evidently that's not true. How many of you heard that one? That somehow, you know, God created everything, but then he, kind of, he, he was on vacation or he was visiting his other family somewhere, and the world kind of got away from him while he was, had his back turned in. Oh, man, now, my, now what I'm going to Oh, gosh, I'm going to have to send Jesus to die. Okay. So, so my point here is the answer, there's an answer. It can't violate any of the things that we know about God, or it's not the right answer. You got that? That makes sense? Okay, so can't the answer, the true answer, cannot violate any of the attributes of God. <clears throat> Second thing you got to know, and this is a culmination of scriptural truth, <clears throat> everything that happens, its ultimate purpose is to glorify God. And you got to, you know, we're human beings, we're broken, we're limited in our knowledge, and we're asking ourselves, we ask ourselves all the time when, when we go through trials ourselves, how can God possibly use this for good? 
you got to be kidding me. How, God, can you possibly use sin and brokenness and rebellion to bring you more glory? If that truly is the purpose of all things, and you're in complete control, and you're completely holy and loving and all that stuff, and you're the God with a perfect plan, why did you let things go sideways? How does that glorify you more? Some of this is going to be speculation. Then we have to know God's plan is perfect. If He is those things, if He saw it all before it happened, and He allowed it or caused it, first, so, so we know that somehow this is God's plan and it's perfect. Allowing man to rebel, allowing angels to rebel, was part of God's plan. This is not plan B that we're living in. This is not, oh, things just went sideways. God knew before he created angels, God knew before he created mankind and the universe that this was going to happen and he was going to have a plan to fix it. And the plan would be perfect. I don't get it, God. I don't get it. If I was you, I would have just said, no sin anytime, anywhere. Let's just all have fun. But I'm not God. And neither are you which we'll talk about here as we see what happens when people backtalk God. Um, can't violate God's attributes. Ultimately glorifies God. The plan that we're living in is perfect. It's no accident. And then we can see some things that might help solve the riddle. Brokenness and rebellion allows God to demonstrate certain aspects of himself that would be impossible without it. Any ideas what those things might be? If sin had not occurred, could God demonstrate the depth of his mercy? No. Could God demonstrate the greatness of his grace? No, wouldn't be necessary, would it? You know what? When God fixes you and you go to the new heaven and the new earth, you won't need mercy anymore because you won't, you won't ever sin. But for God to demonstrate that aspect of himself, there had to be something less than in order for him to demonstrate those things to bring the less than back up to the standard. Love, mercy, grace, forgiveness, patience and long-suffering... Those things, part of those things are gift, fruit of the Spirit, so we know that's God's, that's God's attitudes, that's, that's, that's God's attributes there. And redemption. The greatest, you can think about this a little bit, ruminate on it. The greatest demonstration of God's love was Jesus dying on the cross. Without that, would we really know? If I wasn't broken and so horribly broken that I needed everything to be done on my behalf, that I had absolutely no chance of digging out of the hole that I dug for myself when I was a sinner, and then I was able to recognize that and think about it and meditate on it, man, God... Besides the fact that you knew what I really, who I really am and what I really did and what I think, all this stuff. That's, and you did that for me? Really? 
So allowing sin to exist created opportunities for God to demonstrate aspects of himself that gave us a fuller picture of the God that we serve. If he just had holiness and justice, we would have all been vaporized before we existed probably. And so God allowed sin. I don't know why, but I can make some presumptions that it did allow him to demonstrate aspects of himself that brought him glory. Now, it's painful in the meantime, right? Because the existence of sin and its consequence must bring more glory to God, but it also provides contrast. This is a a theme that's going to go through a lot of these. Contrast. What, What do you mean, Tim, contrast? If you don't know what evil is, how are you going to know what good is? If you don't know what want is, how are you going to know what love is? If you don't know what rejection looks like, how are you going to know what acceptance looks like? So those contrasts we have been given as a gift of God to say, I know now how bad this can be so that I will understand and appreciate and glorify God when I recognize how good it's going to be. What are you saying, Tim, that this harsh life is a gift from God? Yeah, kind of. Kind of. That's contrast. Yeah, so we recognize, we live in the moment, and we understand, okay, yeah, right now is really hard, and it's painful, and I don't like it, and I don't understand it. Why is it so tough? Romans 9 22 through 24. I'm sorry, there were just so many scriptures I didn't want to have bazillion slides. But Romans 9, 22 through 24. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience the vessels of his wrath, which were prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. That's what I just said. Contrast. What if God said, look, I'm going to allow rebellion, stuff I knew was going to happen, stuff I knew was going to be objects of my wrath, and I allowed that to happen so that The riches of my glory for those that I created for mercy and I prepared beforehand for my glory would know. That's what he says. He gives us the answer. What if that? I mean, this is a rhetorical question, by the way. What if? (laughs) That's the answer. What if... In order to make known the riches of my glory for the vessels of my mercy, which I prepared beforehand for glory, even us who've been called, not from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. God had a plan. Now, I know this, a lot of, it's going to be time to quit. A lot of people don't like to hear that, but okay, I, there, there's some sort of, uh, you know, predestination, and I, I made some for, as vessels of my wrath, some for vessels of my glory, but... Nonetheless, that's how it's going to end up in the end. Um, God wants you to appreciate to the fullest extent possible 
that you're a child of God right now today. He said, I'm going I'm to open the books and I'm going to give you a peek into your eternal destiny. I know it's hard here, but I want you right now to understand who I am to a certain extent so that you can experience some of the joy and the pleasure and the glory now while it's so hard and appreciate where you're going. Romans 5, 20 through 21. Now the law, which was my unbreakable standard of perfection, came to increase the trespass. What? You gave me the law just so I'd know how bad a sinner I was? Yep. But what do we try to do with it? Oh, I can live up to that. I can claw my way out of the pit. All I got to do is follow the rules. God said, I didn't give you the rules for that reason. I gave you the rules so you'd recognize how badly you needed Jesus. Now, the law came to increase the trespass, and where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why does sin exist? It was God's perfect plan. He is sovereign. He is in control. It didn't get away from him. It isn't plan B. He created it. Magnify his glory. But he also created it and allows us to see the way through to the final destination where it's gone again. There was a time when it was gone. And then he allowed it to exist. And, but hey, I'm going to show you how to get through this back to the place where it doesn't exist anymore. And then you'll appreciate the pathway. And you'll see my glory demonstrated to you when what you really deserved, according to my justice, was to be vaporized. Totally. Think about that. Let it bring you some glory and comfort and joy that God has given you a pathway from, away from what you deserve through grace to this unbelievably wonderful existence, it's going to happen later. In the meantime, I've created this path and I've, I've allowed ways for you to experience an inkling of who, you can, who you're going to be, who I am, and, and a small portion of the joy which will accompany your new reality. Without the biblical worldview... You're going to miss that. Hmm. I, really, I really did think when I started this, this was going to be a two-session point, but it, um, we're only going to get through the one, one verse now, or the one question. Um, take this thing home. Look at those questions. The rest of them. The, the rest of the, the other three. There's an answer in Scripture for each one of these. And guess what? It works out best for you. Why does life seem so hard and unfair? Boy, I mean, if you haven't asked that, well, you have and you're just lying about it if you say you didn't. Guess what? Life isn't fair. It's not supposed to be. And why is it so hard 
Well, there's a purpose in that. And why doesn't God just fix it all right now? Well, there's an answer to that. It's all found in the book. But if you struggle with the answers to these questions, that's what I'm trying to tell you. There is an answer, but it's only in the book. From a human standpoint, you're going to come up with the wrong answer, and life is going to be very frustrating for you. Take it from someone who knows. And the last question down here, ponder that this week, will you? What does God really owe us? Because <clears throat> this is another problem. This is a human um, perspective issue. Uh, pretty much, God, I, you know, I accepted your free offer of salvation, and now I'm trying to serve you, and uh, I, I would be lying if I said I've given it all to you. you know, but let's just say I could go to God and say that. You owe me now, God. And when I don't get what I think is due, frankly, I'm a little ticked. Yeah, that's right. So we have to answer our, these questions from the biblical worldview or you're going to feel some real frustration and anger in your life. And pain is, pain is, the, is a very good generator of those kinds of feelings and emotions that, you know, I mean, the natural human response to pain and trial is to get angry and frustrated. But so God's saying, look, I've got, a, I've got an alternative to that. If you'll just read the book, uh, I'll tell you why you're going through this. Uh, it will not necessarily remove all the pain, but it will give you at least some perspective on what I'm trying to accomplish with it so that you can find this supernatural peace and joy that I have out there lingering for you. If only you make your way through the anger, you'll find it. That's the kind of life God has made available to you as a believer. I don't know. I know pretty much all of you. Internet people, I don't know who's looking. If you don't know Jesus, start there. The rest of it is just a waste of your time. God is not. You're going to be in Romans 9. You're going to be the one God created for wrath. Uh, that's the most important thing. You start being fixed. First thing is you have to be reconciled to God through Christ. Do it today. There is so much to be gained from actually understanding and living the biblical worldview. That's why, that's why this, this was so important to me to share with you. I look out and I see instance after instance after instance, not only in my own life, but in lives of other Christians, online, in person, where I'm thinking, this is just way too hard for you because you're not doing it God's way. And I, am, I, I have a massive amount of regrets of dealing with trial in my life when I did not do it God's way. It was unnecessary, except for that it, it changed me. But I could have experienced these trials understanding 
God's viewpoint from Scripture for why they were there. All of the problems. And so I look out at Christians and I think, man, I mean, I can, first I can see the consequences of people making non-biblically related choices in their life as church people, as church leaders. Living outside the biblical worldview as a Christian is dangerous. You've wandered off the path, out of the light and into the darkness. God will bring you back. But don't stumble around out there any longer than you need to. Recognize how important it is to know Scripture and live it. And you have the Holy Spirit inside you to do just that if you just let Him do it. Okay, let's pray before I get too long-winded. What a miracle it is, God, that you even could stand us, but that you loved us enough to reconcile us back and then start to fix us and then prepare this so wonderful place later. And then this thing that you've given us in your word and your Holy Spirit, illuminated by the light of the Holy Spirit through the light and the path of your word so that we can know you and find a way through this very chaotic life to a relationship with you right now. That is just beyond understanding. We need to glorify you for those two things, the reconciliation and just the help in being fixed every day. Not take it for granted, but not abandon it or avoid it either so that we are not living the kind of life that you have made available to us or making dumb decisions or making anti-biblical decisions because we're just out of ignorance or not, not submitting or just not being aware or intentional about it. So, Father, we need that. We need your light to shine in us brightly through your Holy Spirit and your Holy Spirit to draw us towards the truth of your Scripture and help us to understand what it says, what you promise in your Word, so that we can be changed. With the power of your Holy Spirit through the truth of your word, and find the path and stay on it. So, Lord, we just thank you for how you've done that. I mean, I've seen growth in myself, seen growth in others, and I know you're working, and I know you'll never stop. So we thank you for that. Praise you right now in advance for how you're going to continue to help this, this church family to grow. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.